0: Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smart Today's episode, Wooden Johnson's. Just a quick note, this one is probably not work-safe and not something you want to be playing around little kids. If you listen to NPR, you've probably heard the announcement that a show is supported by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Their name might lead you to think they make marital aids out of wood. Since most artificial fallacies are made out of plastic or silicone, wooden ones might be a welcome change. You can even have some fun with it, using different kinds of wood for different sizes of Johnsons. Average sizes could be made from ash or white pine. Extra large wooden Johnsons would be made from ebony and black cherry. And the tiny Asian versions could be made from bonsai trees. But the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation isn't interested in increasing your pleasure. They are, in fact, an anti-pleasure organization. They're devoted to increasing government interference in every aspect of your life, all in the name of health. On their website, they brag that they are the nation's largest philanthropy devoted to improving health and health care. And on NPR, their slogan is, committed to helping Americans lead healthy lives and get the care they need. In reality, though, they're a front group for the pharmaceutical industry, specifically for the giant Johnson & Johnson Corporation. If Johnson & Johnson were to get directly involved in the politics of health, most people would be very suspicious of their motives and critical of their claims. So one of their founders did something very clever. He set up the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as an independent charity whose primary source of income is the dividends on $6 billion, yes, billion dollars, worth of Johnson & Johnson stock. So, what's good for Johnson & Johnson is also very good of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. They claim on their site that they've spent $3 billion over their lifetime promoting health. Hundreds of millions of it have gone to attacking smokers. A lot of these supposed grassroots organizations and political coalitions calling for bans on smoking in public places and higher tobacco taxes are quietly funded behind the scenes by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I don't know how many of them realize that they're puppets of big pharma. I don't know how many of them would even care if they did realize it. But we don't see that. All we see is these grassroots organizations. If you're a regular listener, you've heard me talk about the anti-tobacco shield James Repace. He spent nearly three decades lying about smoke and smokers. For instance, he claims that removing tobacco smoke from a room requires 300 mile-an-hour winds... That when people smoke outdoors, the smoke doesn't dissipate, but forms little white tornadoes that hunt down non-smokers. And that sucking down exhaust fumes near a highway is safer than inhaling a bit of smoke in a bar. Where does he get his money? He gets a lot of it from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. They've given him hundreds of thousands of dollars to fabricate this kind of nonsense. And then they gave him an award for performing so well. First you buy yourself a monkey, then you train the monkey, then you give him a little monkey treat. So they hire themselves these experts, they fund these front groups, and then they sit back and they enjoy the benefits. What kind of benefits? Well, let's take smoking bans for instance. Every time a ban or some other restriction goes in place, some smokers decide to quit. Some of them decide right away, some of them decide eventually. And when they do, a lot of them will try nicotine replacement therapy. Johnson & Johnson makes nicotine patches, nicotine gums, nicotine sprays, nicotine lozenges, nicotine inhalers, and they're probably working on nicotine breakfast cereals and air fresheners and feminine hygiene products, who knows. Think about how profitable these products have to be. You can go into any dollar store, you can get 50 sticks of brand name gum for a couple of bucks. But if Johnson & Johnson puts a hint of nicotine in it, they can sell 40 pieces for 30 bucks. That's a pretty enormous profit. And every time somebody buys one of these things, it makes Johnson & Johnson more profitable, which increases the stock dividend, which increases the income of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Yet, the foundation is completely independent of the corporation. Pretty clever, isn't it? By the way, there are now quite a few studies out there that show nicotine replacement therapy just doesn't work. Smokers who quit cold turkey have at least twice the success rate of those using nicotine replacement therapy. Some studies show even bigger differences. Now, I haven't really dug into these studies. I've just looked at them real quick. They do look to be correctly done... But we go back to the statistics episodes, we see that uh, you have to be suspicious of any studies. But one thing all of these studies have in common is that none of them were funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I'm talking about anti-tobacco activities because that's what I'm most familiar with. But they got their fingers, at least I hope it's their fingers, in a lot of other American pies. They're staunchly anti-booze, and they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars to fund studies and programs and encourage higher taxes on alcohol, restrictions on the marketing, restrictions on the advertising. They even gave gifts to the Center for Science and Public Interest, that junk science machine, to fight binge drinking. They're also anti-drug. Well, anti-illegal drug. They give money to groups like the Partnership for Drug-Free America. But, of course, when they say drug-free, they're not talking pharmaceutical-free. If you've had a rough day and you want to smoke a joint, you deserve to go to jail. But if you take big pharma-approved happy pills, day after day after day after day, you're a good little citizen. Now, to be fair, everything they do doesn't directly profit Johnson & Johnson, like funding NPR shows. You know, they give money to car talk or wait, wait, don't tell me. There's no way that's going to improve Johnson & Johnson's bottom line. I've always encouraged people to do their own research. Don't take my word for anything because sometimes I'm full of shit and don't even know it. Go out there and do a little research yourself and find out how many of their studies and programs are of a nanny nature. Things that are designed to either influence or through the force of law downright force you into health and lifestyle decisions that they approve of. Check out how many of them directly and indirectly affect the value of Johnson & Johnson stock. And if you find any project that could possibly have a negative impact on j and stock, I will personally buy you a cigar, a beer, a fatty cheeseburger, or anything else that the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation wants you to stay away from. It really is a shame that they're squandering their name. They'd have very little trouble making artificial fallacies. Because if you look at who they really are, and what they really do, it appears that at least a substantial part of their organization is made up of complete dicks and absolute dildos. That's it for the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you simply understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations! You've been smartenized! email and comments on both of the global warming podcast is still coming in here's a few uh choice ones here greg tucker writes in to say he wanted to caution me on the point of all debate being good in science and says the creationist quacks consistently use this theme to raise doubts among non-scientists this is true And this was actually something that I thought about a little bit while I was doing the podcast, getting ready for the podcast, but didn't quite know how to address it. But yeah, there are times when you do shut down the debate. We don't argue anymore whether the Earth is the center of the universe. We've had that debate. We've checked it out. We know the facts. No need to debate that anymore. Same goes true with evolution. That debate is over, folks. Like it or not, Evolution's real, we've seen it, we know that it happened, and all of the arguments now amongst scientists about evolution are on finer and finer points of exactly how it happened, not whether it happened or not. That debate is shut down. We don't need to debate that anymore. But in the case of global warming, global cooling, climate change, whatever you want to call it, I still think it's going to be quite a while before we get to the point where we can say, we don't need to debate this anymore because we understand it now. He continues, But for the public, it can be difficult to discern the difference. He's talking about real debate and public quacks. Much of what is seen as scientific debate is actually public opinion-mongering by politicians and pundits. From a scientific standpoint, it doesn't concern me that Al Gore doesn't engage in debate with a skeptic because, as you already pointed out, Al Gore is not a scientist. His role, as he perceives it, is to popularize the conclusions that he believes in and to persuade the public and not to advance the state of the art in the science. Good point. But I think he does present himself as a scientist, and a lot of people who believe in his religion treat him as if he were one. Stephen James writes in, uh, says that he enjoys the podcast. Can't say I agree with you 100%, but I do like your honest and forthright style. I am a fan of the bullshit stuff from Penn & Teller and Skepticality, and I put yours along the lines of those as one who is telling the truth about stuff that is often obscured by the media. Well, thank you very much, Steve. That is really fine company to be in. But then he goes on and gives me what, to me, I think is just one of the finest compliments I've ever received. Thanks very much for the Dare episode. I played it in its entirety for my 13-year-old son. And I'm sure the solid reasoning in the episode struck home. I tell you, that makes me feel terrific. You're the second person that's written in and said that they used uh, this technique on their kid. And uh, I hope it works for you. Certainly worked well for me. Mark Jagger writes in with, I think, probably the only letter that I received that tried to convince me to be more uh, worried about global warming and more concerned about it than I am. And he references a chart on Wikipedia, which I did take a look at and which, uh, frankly, was all over the place and played games with scale and, and uh, didn't impress me a lot. I just want to say one thing. As far as Wikipedia is concerned, if you want to know, for instance, uh, you know, when George Washington was born or when Abraham Lincoln died, things like that that are pretty concrete, not a problem. It's a good source. But if you're looking at anything even remotely controversial, forget it. Wikipedia, all of their controversial pages are being presided over by wiki-Nazis who do nothing more than watch the page. And if you go in there, if there's a factual error, and I've, I've run into this myself, you go in there, there'll be a clear factual error, you make a change, and five minutes later it's reverted back to where it is and you get a note about vandalism. So. If it's anything controversial, Wikipedia should maybe be the first place that you go, and everything that you read in that on the subject there should be taken with a huge grain of salt. I'm going to close off with one here from David Goodfellow, who uh, starts out by talking about how he lives up in Manitoba, where it's really cold, and it's still really cold up there, but not as cold as it used to be. In his lifetime, he's seen... Uh, shorter bouts of coldness and and warming. So he, he believes that some change at least is happening. And he's talking about experts and their conclusions and says, you may have noticed the word experts is in quotation marks. I would like to know who these experts are and what qualifies them to be experts. How long have we been able to study climate change in any real detail? Sure, these experts talk about what might have happened 16 billion years ago, but how do they know for sure? Were they actually there to see firsthand the events that happened? They can analyze a piece of ice from one of the glaciers and come up with a theory that 16 billion years ago there was a spike in hydrogen gas that caused the ice cap to melt and wipe out any life here on Earth. What really happened was a caveman farted right in that very spot, and through the laws of preservation and some dumb luck, an expert found what was remaining of the fart. Is my theory any less believable? Well, I don't know if it's believable or not, but I found it pretty amusing. Yeah, maybe some of those ice bubbles that we're, uh, that we're finding in the, in the Greenland ice sheets really are k farts and Viking farts and are throwing everything off completely. Frankly, that's just as plausible an explanation of some of the other ones that I've heard. Hey, if you'd like to hear your email read, or even hear your lovely lilting voice, give a call to 206-203-4488. That's 206 203 hit and you'll be able to leave a message there. If you're trapped in traffic right now while you're listening to it, eh, pick up the cell phone. You probably got a lot of free minutes or cheap long distance. Make a call. It may end up on the show. Or you can write to me at hitman at davehit.com. The correct spelling of that is in the MP3 tags of this file. Or just go to davehit.com, spell with two T's, and you'll find my email address all over the place there. You'll also find the webpage for this podcast and various uh, notes, show notes for this show and for past shows. I'm a little bit late with this one. I usually do these shows around the 1st and the 15th. This is uh, the 5th. According to my calendar, the reason that I'm late is I've been doing a lot of extra stuff on the Podcast Peer Awards because we just hit our finalists for Podcast Peer Awards 2. So if you go to podcastpeers.org and you click on finalists, there's a finalist link up there on the top, you'll see a list of all the different finalists and all the different categories. And I can promise you folks, if you go there, you're going to find a lot more really good shows than you will find in any top 10 list anywhere else out there on the internet. So if you're looking for something new to listen to, if you're looking for something good to listen to, go to podcastpeers.org and check out the nominations. And also check out the past winners for Podcast Peer 1. Because there's a lot of good stuff there too. We've listed but not only the winners, but also all the finalists on that page. And finally, as always, never forget that the Quick Hits podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion, and therefore should not be taken too seriously.